Hello and welcome to A's Plus, the San Francisco Chronicles podcast on the Oakland A's and Major League Baseball. I'm your host, Chronicle A's beat writer Susan Slesser, and today David Feldman joins us for a look at the A's offseason moves to date, including the addition of Tony Kemp. And we will discuss the Astros cheating scandal, plus a look at a couple different halls of fame. All of that next on A's Plus. It's the first A's Plus of 2020, so of course we have David Feldman, Feldy, Feldy's Follies, starting things off for us for the new year. David, uh, welcome back to A's Plus. I, I know you're busy um, spreading your, your A's knowledge talents around, but um, you've got to remember who's, who loved you first uh, and tell us. Uh, what, what have you thought so far? The A's, you know, pretty admittedly slow offseason. Um, the most major deal right now is maybe Tony Kemp? Yeah, well, happy new year to you and happy belated birthday to you. Oh, thank you. A new decade's upon us. Yeah, I think going into this offseason, it didn't seem like the A's had a lot of moves to make. They had a pretty well-rounded squad, and they knew that coming into the 2020 season. There were some tweaks they wanted to do, and they did a little of it by picking up T.J. McFarlane, um, left-handed reliever. Kind of shocked me when they brought back uh, Jake Diekman, and gave him a multi-year deal. That was a little shocking to me from what the way he pitched at the end of last year. He walks a lot of guys, and that's that's not good. Um, but they did do that. Uh, but probably the biggest move was going to get a left-handed hitting second baseman to bring into camp, and they did that by adding Tony Kemp. And Kemp, who plays a little bit of outfield, is along with second base, so he's versatile. He can, he can play all over the diamond. Um you know, he's had some chances in the big leagues. He's never shown great consistency at the plate, but he's never really had the chance to play every day either. Um, a small move that might turn into a big move later, I don't know. Um, but just going into the offseason, they really didn't have a lot to do. Yeah, he, and he's pesky. He's that kind of player, and he's got some speed, which I always like. I'm not sure the A's always necessarily like it or appreciate it, but maybe someday Feldy will they'll – They'll turn somebody loose who can run. Um, so I, I do like adding that element. It, it's not, this is not like a big, you know, jaw-dropping offseason. Like, nothing huge. Um, during the winter meetings, the, the A's did what they did a couple of years ago with Mark Canna. They arranged for another team to take a guy in the Rule 5 draft who they wanted, and then it swung a little deal for uh, uh, Vimeo Machine. That's how we're saying it, Correct. Uh, Vimeo machine. Vimeo. I think it's Vimeo. Vimeo. Machine. Vimeo. I just we just we just looked we, we, just we looked up a YouTube video. <laughs> uh, YouTube video. Minor leagues to see how the broadcasters announced his name. I think I've it's Vimeo. It um, uh, Vimeo. Vimeo. Yeah, with the addition of Tony Kemp, I'm not quite sure how he fits. I'm looking forward to seeing him. You know, I always love the Rule Five guys. Um, you know, they they come into spring. A lot of times, they've never been to big league camp before. They're excited. They sense they have an opportunity. I think word is out uh, just among pretty much everyone in baseball that the A's are a team that gives guys a chance. You know, if, if you uh, are somebody they feel really fits, especially somebody that's versatile, uh, you know, the, you've got an opportunity with the A's. Now, the Kemp deal might change that, but uh, that could be a fun, fun little thing to keep an eye on. Plus, as, as you know, you know, there's all these other guys 
vying for the potential second base job, all the all of them right-handed, but you know, Barreto Mateo out of options, and then Sheldon Noisy, who actually might have looked like he could be potentially the most consistent hitter of the bunch from what we've seen in, uh, you know, small sample sizes in the big leagues. I, that's, I, I feel as if I'm going to be spending a lot of time during the spring writing about second base slash 26th uh, roster spot player kind of battles. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's really the one position where it is a battle. There's no... There's no incumbent. I mean, Jerickson Profar is gone now. Um, you have Barreto, Mateo out of options, Noisy with options. Machine's kind of in a different, because he's a Rule 5 guy, you'd have to keep him on the Major League roster the whole year or offer him back. Uh, so kind of a third guy really without options, right? Because the only option yeah. is to keep him on the Major League roster. Um, and then Tony Kemp. Uh, it's going to be interesting. Uh, Mateo did not have a good, second half of the season in the minors and then in winter ball he also did not hit very well that's a little concerning because now you're not talking just a month slump you're talking half a year slump yeah and injuries Um, and injuries and he does again like Kemp he has exceptional speed when he's healthy um he we've not seen him at all at the major league level so we don't even know what you're going to get there Frank and Barreto we've seen at the major league level we've seen him struggle except when he's playing the White Sox We've seen him struggle. Um, and the biggest thing is, is pitch recognition, chasing. Right? He, he just swings the balls out of the strike zone way, way too often. Um, and that's got to play discipline. has got to get tighter. And you're, this is it for him now. He's going to get a chance. I, I can't imagine the A's, you know, we're going back to the Donaldson trade, looking back at that trade and getting nothing. They're going to give Franklin Barreto a chance to win this job. It's his time to take it. And he's going to have spring training to prove that. It's going to be interesting to watch. Yeah. I, you know what? I think he's better than sort of a 4A kind of classic type player. And he's got power. He can do a few things. I like the fact that he can play the outfield now a little bit. Uh, but you want him to play second base. Really, the problem is the the not balanced lineup. They have too many right-handed hit, hitting players. Uh, I, You know, we talked uh, late last year about, you know, potentially moving one of those right-handed hitting outfielders because outfield is a position of strength for them, um, that, and they have chosen not to do that uh, so far. You know, things the, going into spring training now, no team really has a set roster, it seems like, and the A's more than anybody have shown they're willing to sign guys, make trades. Uh, they'll be busy right up in, to opening day and maybe even beyond. So, uh, you know, they could still, uh, if somebody loses an outfielder and the A's think they could get a haul, they would probably be calling that team, I would imagine. Um, so nothing's yeah. set. Um, but, you know, the, the catching spot, we, we thought that they were going to go out and get a veteran catcher. Uh, certainly that was something Bob Melvin had said he likes with a bunch of young catchers. He would like to have a veteran guy. I would think maybe that might be where we see them sign somebody late, even although really the left-handed options are all kind of gone and what that's really what they need. But maybe even if it's just somebody to kind of like get these guys through spring training and then be at AAA if needed, you know, like a Jonathan Lucroy type kind of guy. Um so uh, I, I think that that's still potentially on the radar. But um, we'll, we'll get back to some of the other things maybe they, they might still want to do a little bit later in the show. But talking about Tony Kemp, of course, the big story in baseball, really maybe the biggest story in sports except for, you know, the Super Bowl looming, 
is the Astros cheating scandal. Like, do we call it the Astros Red Sox cheating scandal? Well, like, how are we? It's mostly Astros. How do you see this, and how do you see it potentially impacting the A's, both from a team standpoint and and what the division might look like coming up? But from Mike Fire's standpoint, because he's the only named whistleblower, he is not the only whistleblower. When you read stories and you look online, you might think it was just him. It's not. There were other players that talked to Major League Baseball. You and I both know, and most fans know, the whispers and rumblings have been out there for a very long time about both of those teams, the Red Sox and the Astros. Um, so he is not alone. He's the only one whose name is out there. Does this affect him, and how does this affect the A's in 2020? It's going to be interesting to see if it affects him. Because in some ballparks, uh, he is going to be cheered and he's going to be looked at as a hero. And in other ballparks, he's going to be looked at differently as a, as a rat. Right? And that's the problem when you are the whistleblower and you put a name to it. Um, he's definitely not the only one. I mean, guys have been talking about this through teams. Guys who've left Houston have talked to their, their current teammates about what it was like in Houston. He was the only one, Mike Fires, to stand up and put his name to it. Um, which is pretty impressive, right? You know, and he the, the backlash that, that he's received from some people is so short-sighted, and as, as it always seems to be with whistleblowers anywhere. But he's right in this. This was this was such a it was so bad for the game what Houston was doing, and it, they were they were live cheating. If there's a way to put it, right? Look, people have been trying to steal signs forever since this game was invented and since catchers have been putting down fingers people have been trying to steal signs that's fine you're out on the field anything on the field is fair game this was not out on the field this was a systematic system to steal signs and give hitters in real time what pitch was coming right and this didn't just involve players this involves you know, potentially video guys and things like this and other electronic means and you know this is a systemic pretty much you've got to suspect fairly team-wide thing it's orchestrated uh that is that's a substantial amount of cheating that's not one guy trying to get an edge on the field that's everybody right. i mean that's that is that's it. crazy everybody yeah no it, it is and, and the real-time aspect of it is what gets me look there has been even before we Major League Baseball invited video into the clubhouse which they did with these video rooms for instant replay Right? They invited this into the clubhouse. Stuff like this was bound to happen in some form because even before the video rooms, you know, there have been TV monitors in clubhouses, and the broad, the, you know, the TV broadcast is on, and pitchers would sit in the in the clubhouse and they would watch the game and they'd try and decide for the signs. And if they figured something out, they would go back out to the dugout and tell somebody. That has happened since TV has, has started. Right? right? What's happening now, what's different, is now with the video replay rooms in the, in, the, in the clubhouses, you can isolate a camera, in this case a center field camera, and you can zoom in. That camera never leaves the batter pitcher. Right? That's its one job. And you can zoom in and watch the pitcher sign. This is what makes it so, so bad. Yeah. You, again, you know when the pitcher time. knows. You know what the signs yes. are. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Basically. And then giving this, you know, the trash can thing. That's why the Red Sox, what the Red Sox did, I don't find it as bad. They really weren't stealing this in real time. They were just trying to use the technology to figure out the, the signals and which sign is real 
and then passing it along from player to player. For me, I don't find that as bad because I think every team does something like that. I really do. I think every team's trying to find a way to, to get an advantage, and that's one way is to decipher decipher sign. The the rumbles rumbling about the Astros had been going on probably pretty close to as long as they had been doing this because teams know you can tell you know pitchers and catchers in particular have a pretty good idea if a guy is maybe getting a little extra information because first a pitcher thinks oh I'm tipping, or a catcher thinks maybe I'm giving something away. What am I doing wrong? And when it happens a couple games in a row they start to think something's happening so smart teams start you know changing signs up making things a lot more complicated but it can get too much and too complicated as sean doolittle our uh much loved former a's reliever uh apparently i mean he mentioned essentially to his wife aaron dolan uh the nationals was so complicated as a result of all of this that it was sometimes hard to concentrate. Like it takes away from the, what you're actually, the job you're trying to do at hand when you're thinking so much about trying to keep the other team from cheating. Uh, That's not a way to play baseball. Now, obviously the Nationals overcame that, but uh, still that's not, that's not great. And you, the main thing is, of course, you want a level playing field. That's the problem with all cheating. It's not a sport if it's not a level playing field. And you know, cheaters, are cheating themselves ultimately. Do do we know how good those Astros teams really were now? Do we? I don't know. Do we know how good yeah. Jose Altuve was? His MVP year? I don't know. Was it did he do it by cheating or was that him? I mean, it's just not a, now there's always going to be questions. Uh, you know, people have already started asking me is his Hall of Fame candidacy tainted by this? Hard to say. There're going to be some people that probably feel that way. So, uh, yeah, it's a big black eye for baseball. And Mike Fires is going to have to answer questions about it, but he did the right thing. There's no doubt about it. This is something that goes against the ethos of any pro sport that wants to maintain its integrity and its validity as a sport. My goodness. Uh, But, again, he is not alone. There were other people letting Major League Baseball know. So, um I hope people will keep that in mind. Uh, you know, may or may not affect his season. I, I honestly think he will probably be cheered in the majority of stadiums. If not, I would hope to, you know, obviously the A's don't play everybody, but you'd hope it, it's like 29 out of 30 or 28 out of 30 places. Uh, you would hope. So, uh, probably not. Does this open up the division a little bit for the A's? Are the Astros with now without their top leadership uh, and maybe rattled and certainly facing scrutiny all year, does this change the equation for them this season? I think it does. I mean, the A's were 10 games behind the Astros at the end of last year, so they need to make up 10 games. Um, I think they do that, one, because the A's starting pitching staff is going to be better than it was last year if everybody stays healthy. Right. If you look at Manaya, full year, Puck, Lizardo, Fires, Montas, uh, full years out of those guys, a healthy years, the A's pitching is, is set. Their offensive players are a year older going into their prime, right? Chapman, Olsen, Simeon. We're talking about prime years for these guys. I think this is a very, very good baseball team. So you have that advantage. And Houston got a little worse, right? Because Garrett Cole left. That's, that's a big loss. And then Justin Verlander, he's a year older. Granky a year older, and they're going the opposite direction. They're, they're starting to leave their prime. So the, their offensive players are as good uh, as anyone. They have dynamic offensive players. But the pitching staff's getting a little older, and it lost a little losing Cole. So can they recover from that? Can the A's make up 10 games? 
Yeah, because this is also going to be a distraction for Houston throughout the year. Wherever they go, every day is going to be questions about this, right, to, to players. And that's why it's really important for them to hire the right manager. And I, I really feel for them it's to get a Dusty Baker or a Buck Showalter-type leader in there to help guide them through this. A, a real solid baseball guy. Um, I think would be their best move. I don't think you can bring anybody from in-house. You can't have anybody even loosely associated with this in there. No. Um, I'd love to see a Bobby, I, a Bobby Evans-Dusty Baker combo. I mean, obviously we know those both of those guys in the Bay Area. We know what kind of character people they are. Uh, and they're both people who should be working in the game right now and aren't. So I'm all for, right. for that to happen. And the other thing that I think is an advantage to the A's that doesn't get talked about as much is that the Astros are going to lose two draft picks, first and second round in this coming draft, and then the first and second round in the next draft. The Astros built this team with their draft picks and their scouting. That's how they became so good with these talented players. Now you're taking away at least four very high draft choices and the guy who kind of was in charge of all this and Jeff Luno. So, I think that's really going to hurt them going forward. So I think the A's get an advantage this year. I think they're going to get an advantage for the next few years because the Astros are not going to be as smart and they're not going to be as deep as they were if these penalties didn't happen. Yeah, it's uh, that's very serious penalties. And then obviously losing a manager like A.J. Hinch, who is a, a friend of both of ours, um, and uh, sad to see everything that's happened with him. And Jeff Luno, obviously, architect of a very good team, and as you mentioned, through their draft. David, we are going to continue with thoughts about the Hall of Fame. Uh, Tuesday is the announcement. This podcast will be coming out probably a little bit before the announcement. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about my ballot right after this. More on A's Plus. Susan Slusser of the Chronicle, back on A's Plus with David Feldman, the official scorer and stats guru and all the other uh, things that you do, TV production. I don't, there's so many things, David, that you're good. You're like, you're a utility player is what you are. I am. You really I just, I just, I'm not good enough at any one thing, so I just got to spread myself <laughs> around and everything. Um, well, thank, thankfully, you are very good at talking. I will continue to <laughs> continue to exploit that. So, uh, it's one of my least favorite times of the year. I, get, I have a, a little bit scarred during uh, Hall of Fame time because, as you'll recall, when I was president of the Baseball Writers Association, was the year nobody went in, and I wound up having to answer question after question about that. And I was one of the people that did not vote for Bonds or Clemens uh, on that uh, ballot. That first time, I didn't vote for them for a few years. I do now vote for them, uh, as you and I have discussed before, and I've written about. My feeling was, you know, once Bud Selig and Tony Larusa and Jim Leland and uh, you know Bobby Cox, people like that, all started going in. The guys who were the leaders of the game during the steroid era, and you know, a lot of the players from that era who, you know, might have been whispered about a little bit with steroids but didn't have any court cases, I started to think, you know what, everybody else is going in. Clearly the Hall of Fame does not really have that much of a problem with the major figures of the steroid era. It seems a little unfair to blame everything on just two guys. So, uh, yes, I vote for those two guys. I'm back to voting for Kurt Schilling again. He was out one year when there was a really packed ballot. Uh, And then this year... I, so far, uh, as I know, I am the only person that gave Eric Chavez a vote. And I've always been one of those people when somebody crazy got one vote, 
you know, kind of like, oh, who's the idiot that's voting for that guy? Well, it's me this year. And uh, <laughs> you know what? I, you know, Daryl Hamilton was one of my best friends and uh, in, in baseball, one of my all-time favorite people. And when he died, I suddenly realized, you know, he was on the ballot one year and I wish I had given him a vote. Uh, in a year where it's not a packed ballot, when you don't feel like you need all 10 spots for guys who have a legitimate, legitimate shot. Uh, and you know what? I covered Eric Chavez for 12 years. He was a delight to cover, phenomenal person. And beyond that, still, pro- you know, Matt Chapman gives him a run for his money, but still one of the best defensive third basemen I've ever seen and just such a pleasure to watch. So I threw Eric Chavez a vote. There was nobody else on there that I felt strongly enough not to do it. Uh, and I thought if there's even a chance to keep him on the ballot just for another year, that would be great. Uh, and if not, you know what, I'll wear it. I, I've gotten slammed on Twitter for it, probably getting slammed on some boards somewhere, but uh, that's fine. You know, local writers, I think, every you, you get a gimme once every, say, 10 years, maybe, <laughs> to, to throw a vote to a guy you've covered, you liked covering, and who was a really... these The guys who get onto the ballot... They're, you know, they're screened ahead of time. This ballot, just making the ballot is an honor. They're all great players. I also considered Giambi, so it was kind of between Giambi and Chavez, but I knew somebody was going to vote for Giambi and somebody else did. So uh, I yeah. was really, I was really happy to see that. So are you going to kill me now? Interesting. No, no. Because <laughs> you explained, you explained exactly why you did what you did. Um, what I think is interesting is, you know, Ryan Thibodeau does a great job with the Hall of Fame tracker. Our local guy, um, Ryan. Woo! Which, it, it's wonderful what he does, but it also brings out the worst in social media. Oh, yeah. Right? Because you're making these ballots public and early, you know, starting in December. And people are just getting ripped in, in these, you know, these Twitter trolls who think it's their opinion and they're the only opinion that counts. And if you don't think exactly like they think, then you're wrong and you're an idiot. Right, which is so wrong. Right. It's, but a vote is an opinion. And that's what we expect. Yeah. It's a and personal that's opinion. All it is. And so my question to you, and you've talked to other writers, how much, and you say this isn't your favorite time of year anyway, <laughs> uh, I mean, how much the social media backlash, how, how just awful is it having to deal with that? Well, you know, I think I might have either blocked or muted a lot of the worst of the worst. But, uh, you know... I don't mind polite discussion about this. I'm, you know, I, as you know, I spend a lot of time thinking about my Hall of Fame ballot. I postseason awards, same thing. I crunch numbers. I go through everything, and uh, it, it matters to me. So, I don't know if there's a perfect ballot. You know, I as we've talked about this a lot. At one point, I was a very small hall person. Uh, and I voted only for the absolute slam dunk of slam dunks. My theory was, you know, if there's gray area, are you really a Hall of Famer? But, you know, that's one thing I will say with the rise of metrics and with some of the people that now really apply metrics to the Hall and past Hall of Famers. You can look at things like Jaws. Uh, You know, that bears some weight for me. And also... The idea of keeping guys on the ballot longer really resonates for me more because there are so many greats in past years, in past decades, when you look, came off the ballot way too soon and should have been considered longer because there are years in which 
there aren't, you know, there aren't maybe four guys who have to go in as there were a couple of years ago. And those guys might get a longer look and might have a better chance. And they deserve that if they're, if they're that quality. So I'm now more of the, you know, I'm going to probably vote 10 spots. Some of that is, you know, maybe a little bit internet criticism driven, but uh, and there have been people who have successfully lobbied me to get me to vote for guys. Uh, so, you know, if you got a guy you really love and I'm on the fence about him and you talk to me about him and you make a convincing argument, I will give it a, a real listen. Uh, I do take this seriously. But, yeah, it is it is tough when people are rude or act like you're a moron. Yes, I did vote for Eric Chavez. I think people are going to hold that against me for a long time. Um, Probably. But, uh, yeah, it's not, it's not pleasant when you like suddenly look at your timeline and it's full of people ripping you. No, I don't, I don't think anybody enjoys that. I'll take it because that's my responsibility as a voter and I'm happy to talk about it as long as somebody is polite and, uh, doesn't make it sound like I'm a complete and utter moron. Yeah. You know, for me and not a voter, but someone who's a big baseball fan, so definitely have an opinion. Um, I've always been a small hall person, as you know, um, to me, the Hall of Fame is the best of the best, and that's my opinion. So for me, when I look at ballots, I just want ballots to make sense. Right? If you're voting for this person, well, you probably should be voting for this person. Um, the ones that I see that don't make sense, those are the ones that just confuse me. Okay. Um, you know, We've seen a couple now where Barry Bonds gets a vote, but the same voter doesn't vote for Roger Clemens. Yeah, that's baffling. What? And that makes absolutely no sense to me. Um, you know, the Larry Walker not voting for Todd Helton. Yeah. Um, those two are kind of the same guy. Um, <laughs> they are. Walker a little so ahead of Todd Helton, one, to be fair. Like, is. if you're voting 10 spots and maybe one of them's your 10th, although Larry Walker probably shouldn't be your 10th spot. He should be a lot higher than that. But, yeah, maybe. But, yeah, I see what you're saying for sure. You know, so I was, I was glad to see you um, add Gary Sheffield to your ballot this year. Yeah. I think he gets shortchanged a lot. This is a guy with 500 homers who, uh, you know, was a great offensive player. Yeah, his defense was lacking. Um, but a guy who played a long time was very productive all through his career with, with huge numbers. Um, you know, we almost won a triple crown in San Diego in a ballpark that no one could hit in. Uh, you know, this was before Petco. Um, tr- tremendous player. So my question to you, though, and I, li- I like asking the people who vote for Bonds and Clemens, is why no Manny Ramirez or Sammy Sosa? Well, you know, it's a very valid question. Manny, and I think you know I've got a real soft spot for Manny. He didn't actually ever wind up playing for the A's, but he was with the A's in one spring. And I had covered him as a visiting player and kind of thought, what a, you know, what is up with this guy? He could be very difficult. Uh, he also could be very weird. Having him around that spring, he was delightful, and we really hit it off. I actually really like him. He's also one of the greatest right-handed hitters I've ever seen, if not the greatest. I loved watching him play. Plus, just also goofy on the field and kind of fun to watch from, from that standpoint. But after testing was implemented, he got busted you know, more than once, and it was like extreme you know like he was taken really seriously very bad stuff so <laughs> i'm not ruling out that i will vote for him at some point it's possible that i will 
I, I'm not quite there yet because it was so blatant. Uh, I'm glad other people are because I would like him to stay on the ballot and I would like to continue to consider him. Uh, and I did love him as a player. I loved watching him. Sosa, he kind of falls in that category of, was it the steroids? And I kind of think yes. That's a hard call. He's the guy who, for me, is most gray in, did the steroids cause the numbers? to be inflated. Bonds, we know he was a Hall of Famer. I used to use the Tom Verducci argument, like, is it okay for Derek Jeter to start taking steroids now? Because we've already kind of ascertained he's a Hall of Famer. Does it make it okay? Of course, no. Nobody, nobody should have been doing any of this. Uh, but Bonds without steroids is a Hall of Famer. Clemens without steroids is a Hall of Famer. I think we can safely say that. I don't know about Sammy Sosa. And, uh, you know, that summer, everybody points to that race. I don't, you know, it kind of gives me a sick feeling in my stomach because it seems like it was such a steroid-driven summer, and that gives me pause. So I don't yeah. know if I'll even reconsider him. I always try to keep an open mind, but I, I'm not big on Sammy Sosa. Yeah, I mean, for, for Sosa, a 600-home run guy, but if your whole candidacy is based on power, and your power was gained artificially, hard really to make an argument for him at that yeah. point. Yeah, and you know because what? I get I get run. very little pushback on either of those guys. Every once in a while I have somebody ask, somebody asked me about Manny the other day. Totally legit. Totally get it. I love Manny. I really honestly I could see at some point voting for him. Um, and I'm not punishing him by not. He's just not, uh, I'm just not quite there yet. I'm not quite ready. Um and I do feel like he just, you know, once it was implemented, really you need to, A-Rod is going to be a very interesting case because, you know, he got popped pretty severely after that um, all was instituted. And he was a guy who clearly was a, on a Hall of Fame track, you would presume, without any peds. So um, a lot of thorny questions. But, yeah, it's you're right. It's not consistent if uh, Bonds and Clemens and maybe not those guys, but... Uh, Post post testing adds another wrinkle. Yeah, no, I think it does. I think if you're the post busted twice, yeah, that, that's, that's you're a bad good. boy. So you know, one other Hall of Fame question for you, and this one I, I really need an answer is how the hell is Pat Benatar not in the <laughs> Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? This is okay. All right, do you really want to start the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame debate? Because Pat I, Benatar being out is. I, not being in went on the ballot. What the heck? I mean, well, of on course, the ballot, and she doesn't get and in. she doesn't That's get ridiculous. in. And uh, I mean, no, no offense to Depeche Mode and Nine Inch Nails, but come on, Pat Benatar. Uh, and uh, I mean, of course, the Go Go's are still not in. Oh, Seriously, the Go Go's are not in. Can you the believe Go-Go's? that? You know, and you know, of course, I'm Paul Weller first and foremost, more than anything. And it's an outrage. He's never even been on the ballot. But uh, hopefully that's some, I, I do understand they Jam did not have hits here. The Style Council only had a hit or two. Uh, 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 I'm just I'm going to have to stop here, David, or I'm going to get too mad. I won't even be able to oh, sign off correctly. I I really it was when I found out that Pat Benatar was not selected this year after being on for the first time being on the ballot. Uh, uh, an icon, hit after hit. Uh, she's still out touring, killing it every night. Unbelievable voice. She has songs that everybody knows. Yeah. Everybody. She was a she was a really pretty ground setting artist in her day. Trail trailblazing. Um, and Todd Rundgren too, also on that ballot. And not, I, I'm surprised by some of that. I mean, 
Ah, well, I don't know. I, li I, like, <laughs> I like trashing other things, Hall of Fame voters, <laughs> rather than the baseball's no Hall of Fame voters. That's much better. With the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. We need transparency. We need to know who these people are and who voted. Yeah, who voted you know what? Voters. I would like to a uh, full list. I, um, there was one, one year, this is sort of embarrassing to admit, so I'm just admitting it to a wide audience. Um, I actually was... <laughs> going to try to lobby all the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame voters to get Weller onto the ballot. And uh, I did find out some names, and I emailed some names, and I got back a few nice responses. Um, but they had just done a purge, and I think five out of the six people I heard back from had been purged. Uh, and they wow. were kind of like, I don't really know who it is anymore. I think it's smaller. I think it's a little more inclusive. I think they now have people from lots of lots more different genres voting, which is great. Right. Uh, but they've also got this public vote now, uh, which I think has um, kind of shifted the balance of some things, too. So uh, the public vote, the Internet, all of those things, I think, are, are affecting that voting, too, which is obviously But to the public so vote, important. Pat Benatar killed it in the public yeah. vote, and Dave Matthews killed it in the public yeah. vote. Whatever. What I mean, Hall of Fame votes. Am I right? Oh, that's crazy. Those guys don't know what they're doing. No uh, clue. Well, Let me um, get on social media and kill them. Yeah, David. Do the A's <laughs> need to do anything else before spring training starts? What's your uh, What's your gut feeling there? I think they would like to bring in a veteran starter uh, or a little older starter who's been around um, for not a lot of money. You know. Felix Hernandez signed with the Braves for a million dollars on a minor league deal today. And that was actually a guy that I thought the A's could have interest in, um, especially at that price. Because yeah. if he's got anything left, yes, the A's have depth in the starting rotation, right? They have the five guys you mentioned before, and they also have Chris Bassett, and they have some guys in the minors. But a lot of guys coming off of injury, and you're not sure how many innings you're going to get out of everybody. So even when you think you have starting pitching depth, you never quite have as much as you would like. Um, so for, I would like to see the A's maybe try and bring in another older veteran starter, uh, to, to compete. And again, like, like the catching thing, maybe he doesn't make the team, but it gives you a little more deafness. Uh, there's a couple of guys coming off injuries. They might want to look at somebody like Jeremy Hellickson, who was injured a lot last year, but might be a guy, Irvin Santana, A's killer, bring him into camp, have us pitch for the A's for a while, maybe help the A's. But I think that might be one place they want to go. Otherwise, you know, they got a lot of outfielders. I think the outfield situation and how it's going to work out, who's going to play where, is going to be really interesting in the spring. Yeah. Because as, as you and I have talked about before, I really like Ramon Laureano as a right fielder. I thought his arm played well there. I thought he tracked the ball better there. And to me, that would move Piscotti maybe to left field. And you have Piscotti, Canna, Laureano. Uh, you're playing, playing Mark Canna $4.5 million this year. You're not paying him that to be a bench player. Right. So he's going to be playing somewhere. Can he be an everyday center fielder? I think he proved that he can be last year for the last half So what of happens year. to Robbie Grossman? And do you have, like, essentially no left-handed hitters in your lineup besides Matt Olson? Yeah, and that's where that's right. Robbie Grossman. How about Seth Brown? Is there a role for Seth Brown on this team? He had some really important at-bats down the stretch. Dustin Fowler, year. is he even on the radar at all? Right. Sky, Sky Bowles. Bowles. Where, where's he? Yeah. Um, I think the outfield is going to be interesting to watch. Uh, to see where guys are playing and how that works out. Uh, we all keep thinking that the 26th man, you know, the extra bench player, which probably this is going to end up being, is going to be an infielder. Wouldn't it be interesting if it's an outfielder? And that's where Tony Kemp actually helps you because he can be both. But it's, 
I think it's gonna be fun to watch how the outfield plays out, just because who's gonna play where. Yeah, that's. Uh, I mean, you know, if they want to package up a, an extra outfielder or two and one of those infielders that's out of options, they might be able to get something useful. Just saying. It's true. Um, they, they have some. They have some tools that they can use to acquire. Right. A, a pretty good player. I I would still like to see maybe another bullpen arm. I'm sure that's something that they're constantly looking for, like everybody else. But, uh, you know, I, I, I do see another sort of uh, spring training Trevor Cahill signing. It won't be Brett Anderson, but, you know, third time for Trevor. Somebody like that um, for starting pitching depth. And I still, I'm with Bob Melvin. I love a veteran catcher, you know, even if it's just for spring. If there's somebody still out there kind of unsigned that they could bring. Might be Nick Hundley again. Somebody, somebody like okay. that. Have him work with the young guys go to AAA in an ideal world, be available. Somebody's left-handed? There's not a lot of them out there, but, you know, hey. Uh, I I would still think that that's something that's on their radar. So you and I will talk about all of this, I'm sure, several times before the season starts, but we're getting a good start off to 2020 and, and getting the most important questions about Pat Benatar out of the way now. Yes, uh, the outrage. We need... We... Bigger and better outrage over this because this is just this is <laughs> horror. This I can't sleep at night. Let's go troll those uh, rock and roll Hall of Fame voters. David Feldman, thanks as always for joining us on A's Plus. Thank you. Our thanks again to David Feldman for joining us on A's Plus. He will be appearing on A's Plus throughout the season. Our producers today were King Kaufman and G. Allen Johnson. We will be back again next week with more A's Plus. A's Plus is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Audrey Cooper is the editor-in-chief. If you like this show, please subscribe, tell a friend, or give us a review. Follow me on Twitter, at Susan Slusser, or you can email me at sslusser at sfchronicle.com. Support A's Plus and a lot of great journalism with a subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle. There are print and digital editions. Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe.